Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. On this podcast, the goal is not just to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon and talk about what we're learning and what God is doing in us and in our community. The sermon you're about to listen to comes from our summer 2023 sermon series, Living Stones. In this series, we're looking at who Jesus is calling us to be as he builds us into a spiritual home. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Eternal relationship, right, of mutual self-giving love. And, And the call to follow Jesus is an invitation into participation in the very life of that triune God that we serve. And when we come to Jesus in repentance and humility, we're not only forgiven, we're not only healed, but we're adopted into the family of God. You see, we were made to be in relationship with God, yes, but also with other people. And when sin entered into the picture, both of those relationships were damaged. Both of those relationships were broken. Not just the fellowship that we were created to have with God, but also our ability to relate to one another in healthy ways. But the good news of the gospel is that the work of Jesus for us can bring healing in both of those relationships. And the reality that I see in scripture and throughout the experience of Christians down through history is that there's often this circular pattern, right, to the work of God. There's a circular pattern. The work of God is mediated to us through his people. God initiates that work of drawing us to himself. Always, always that work begins with God, but then God puts people into our lives who introduce us to Jesus, or, or they play a role in bringing us closer to Jesus, and then, then God works in our lives again, right? Healing and restoring and reforming us, and then other people come along, right? And, and they play a different role in our lives. They, they walk with us through different seasons of life. They, they teach us, they strengthen us, they encourage us, all those things. And the circle goes on and on and on, right? Some of you are here today, sitting next to some of those people who have played some of those roles in your life. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us That the God who made us as persons in his image, the God who came and revealed himself most fully in a human person would come to us, would continue to come to us through other people, persons who have had, uh, who have experienced his grace and goodness transforming their lives. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's so important to be part of a local church community, right? Because none of us can do this alone. Following Jesus, I think always, but today, it's hard. And the idea that it's just me and Jesus and that's enough, it's a myth. It's a myth. You see, we were made for God and 
other people. We need those other people to satisfy some of those needs that God put in our hearts when he made us. And people are one of the ways that God has chosen to work in this world. And that might not make a lot of sense to us. If, if I'm honest, if I were the one creating things, I don't think I would put quite so much trust in people like you and me. But that's exactly what God has done and what he continues to do. And as followers of Jesus, we aren't called to be lone rangers. We're saved in and for community. But we can never confuse or conflate that, the work of God with the work of God's people. There's this working together, but there's also this Separateness, And in, in this passage that we read today from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I think Paul is working through exactly those kinds of implications, right? What does it look like for us when God's grace is mediated to us through people, right? Individuals with names and faces, strengths and weaknesses, gifts and failings. So I wanna take some time this morning to look at what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth and what God might be saying to a Methodist church here in Collingswood. So here in 1 Corinthians 3, begins in verse one, um, but you know, we, we say that and we, uh, you know, I'll say stuff at times, like Paul begins here in chapter three. He didn't have all those numbers in there. He's just writing this letter to the church. But we pick it up here in chapter three. And chapter three picks up this conversation that Paul has been having about the goal of the Christian life being spiritual wisdom, walking in the spirit. But he's telling these Corinthians they still fall short of this kind of maturity. He said, I, I wish I could talk to you about some of these things, about what it looks like to walk in the spirit, but you're still not there. In fact, Paul uses the image here of spiritual babies who aren't ready for the meat of the gospel, the, the real food of the gospel. They need spiritual milk instead. They need to be spoon-fed what Paul is trying to say. And the evidence of this immaturity or worldliness that Paul sees evident in their lives together is, is this jealousy and quarreling, which seems to be based around the different leaders that those in the church were following, right? They're separating into factions. In a way, their teachers, Paul and Apollos, never would have wanted can you think of any instances in our culture, our, our context today, where people are separating into factions? You don't have to look very far, friends. You don't have to look very far. But, but this section brings up an important truth, right? The Christian faith is a journey from immaturity to maturity. But maturity is the goal, 
right? Just as we would be concerned about a baby that never grew physically. Paul was concerned about the, spirit, the lack of spiritual growth evident among the Corinthians. The fact that he's still having to have some of these conversations about things that he sees to be so basic and which they seem at best to be oblivious to and at worst content to live within. But the truth is we're called to grow toward maturity in our faith, which Paul defines as walking by the Spirit, right? Instead of walking in the ways of the world. Walking by the Spirit instead of walking in the ways of the world. And Paul continues to describe the way people play different roles in our lives all along the journey, right? But he's careful to note that at each step of the journey, that step is important. And the work that God is doing through uh, a person at each stage is important. Our Christian walk isn't summed up in any one stage of life, right? So the work that God is doing at each stage and the people that God is using in that work all matter. Because ultimately, it's God who's working in the midst of it all. Paul said he planted the seed. Apollos watered the seed. But God is the one who brings the growth. Is planting a seed important? Absolutely. Is watering that seed important? A hundred percent. Without one or the other, you don't get the plant and ultimately you don't get the fruit. But through it all, no matter what we're called to do, God is the one who brings the growth. Whoever God uses, we're all working toward that same goal, which Paul has told us is maturity, walking in the spirit. But then at the end of that that paragraph that ends with uh, verse nine, Paul shifts his images a little bit. He's been talking about plants and fields and farming, and then he shifts to talk about buildings, right? He goes on to talk about how we are each a part, a living stone, if you will, of the temple that God is building so that he can dwell in us by the Holy Spirit all of us together, right? Not just as individuals. The, the, the spirit comes and dwells. We are his temple together. We need each other. And Paul's point is that no matter who is doing that building, everyone builds on the same foundation, which is Christ. Right? But the work that each of us does, the, the kind of things we do to build that temple, that work is going to be tested. And it's only the good work which will last. All through this section of 1 Corinthians, I see this circular pattern we were talking about. Right? Not just here in 1 Corinthians. So it's, it's all through the New Testament. It's all through the whole of Scripture. God is doing the work of drawing us to himself, the work of transforming us and sanctifying us. But he does it so often through other people, 
through his people and through the relationships that exist within our lives. And so I see the church that God is calling us to be is a church that's radically dependent on God, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. And a church that's focused on the mission to which he called us to, but also as a church which is driven by those relationships. If one of the ways that God has chosen to work in the world is through his people, and if we need one another to become the people of God that he's empowering us to become, then the things we do as a congregation need to be driven more by the relationships and the people within those relationships than by programs or information. And I think there are four characteristics that need to mark our church if we're going to be serious about being driven by relationship. Number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, we need to be about loving people, right? If I had to guess, there may be one or two people here today who were either argued or reasoned into believing in Jesus. But again, if I had to guess, I would guess that the majority of us likely came to Jesus by being loved into that faith. And this isn't always an easy thing, right? It's not always clear how we can best love another person. Sometimes we need to show grace. Sometimes we need tough love. Sometimes we need someone who shows up time after time after time. Sometimes we need to be held accountable for our actions and for the way we're impacting other people. The key is, in order to love people well, we have to spend enough time with those people to know them well enough that God can show us how they need to be loved at each stage of their life and in each set of circumstances that they go through. And if loving people means willing the best for them, it means it's often going to take time, right? Random acts of kindness may have a place in the life of someone who follows Jesus, but more often it's going to mean kindness over the long haul kindness over time, and and it's often going to cost us something to love people like that. People need to know that we care before they're going to care to know why we're loving them, why we're showing them this love. So we need to be a people who are marked by loving others. That's number one. Number two, The goal of our life and work should be growing disciples, right? The end goal of our relationships with people isn't just to get them converted. The goal is for them to become mature followers of Jesus, followers who know how to walk by the Spirit, right? This is absolutely a point, there or there is absolutely a point where we have to choose to trust Jesus. We have to make a decision. But friends, that's just the beginning of the journey. 
It's not the end and it's not the goal. We want to see people learn what it means to walk in the spirit. And again, that takes time, right? And it takes being intentional and intentional relationships. But it goes right along with number three, which is that I think we need to foster transformation, right? We want our church and the relationships within our church to be places where transformation is fostered. Greenhouses where the work that God is doing to reform us in the image of Christ can be incubated and quickened. If God works through our relationships to make us whole and holy, we don't want to miss what he's doing. If, if it's in our relationships with other followers of Jesus that we're learning day by day how to follow Jesus more closely, how to trust and obey, how to walk by the Spirit, then we need to put those relationships front and center. We need to let those friendships and the groups where that's happening take center stage. That needs to drive our church and, and determine how we structure the limited time that we have together each week, right? How many of you have unlimited time each week just to spend in relationship and in the church and doing all kinds of things? Put your hand down, Tina. <laughs> None of us do. None of us have unlimited time. We've got to choose what we're doing. We got to choose how we do, how we use the time that we have. And listen, I love to do Bible studies. I love to teach classes. If I'm honest, I probably like to teach classes more than I like to preach. But I think there's a temptation in those formats to focus so much on the information that's being communicated, what we're learning that we don't quite get to how that's supposed to shape us and change us and make a difference in our lives week to week. We miss the transformation. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should stop doing Bible study. I'm not saying we should shut down Sunday school classes or anything like that. But I do think we need to look at the ways we're using the time that we have together and prioritize those opportunities we have where we're sharing what, where God and how God is shaping us, where we admit where we're struggling and we find grace to keep going. We want to focus on growing disciples and fostering transformation that is needed to become mature. Finally, number four, as we strive to prioritize relationship, we need to avoid the temptation to spend the majority of our time with people who are most like us. Right? We need to encourage multi-generational relationships and create opportunities to cross those boundaries, to cross those divides so that we can learn from one another. 
One of my favorite parts of the trip to La Pamilla was that we had people from three different generations working side by side as a team. And no, I wasn't in the oldest generation. But everyone on that trip, from the youngest to the oldest, was given the opportunity within that trip to lead one of the devotional times, right? And each of those people had the opportunity to say something, and they had something to say to the rest of the team from God, even when it ended up being from the same scripture passage. There was something that God wanted to say through each one of them. Or the other night, we were at a graduation party for someone from our congregation, and Eli, our youngest, he just turned nine a couple weeks ago, Eli went in and sat with a group of older members from our congregation, and it blessed me so much. One, that he felt like he could do that, right? That that was a safe place to do, a safe thing to do, but two, it blessed me because they allowed him in and they engaged him and they had conversation with him. Little nine-year-old. Could have been kicked into the backyard, could have been sent to find the other kids, but they took time to talk with him. And that blessed me. Again, I'm not saying, right, again, I'm not saying that we should get rid of age-based ministry. I'm not saying we should get rid of kids' ministry or, or youth group or any other age-based group. I think there's great things happening in those places. But what I am saying is what would it look like to make those kind of multi-generational interactions more common in the life of our congregation? Like the mentoring that Jeremy set up for the youth who were interested in doing that this summer with an older person from our congregation. And I don't mean older, older, I just mean older than our youth. Um, How can we build those kinds of opportunities more and more into the life of our congregation? I shared in Traces of Grace this week a portion of one of the wake-up call daily devotionals that get sent around each day. And in that devotional, J.D. Walt was talking about the difference between bait fishing and net fishing. And how we tend to think from our American mindset that when we're called to fish for people, it's about how we find just the right bait and set the hook at just the right time to get that person into the church, right? But for the disciples that Jesus was talking to, when they were called to fish for people, some of them were sitting there mending their nets, retying the knots that had come undone and fixing the places that had ripped. And when I think about being caught in a net, I think about being surrounded by those ropes, being surrounded by the ropes of that and being drawn in, right? J.D. wrote that that net is made up of the relationship, or is made up of knots, and each of those knots represents a relationship in someone's life. Those knots which form the net, each, each one, each relationship is a key part of how God is drawing us into not just the life of the church, but into the very life of God. So those relationships, each one of them, matter 
Each one of those names that I listed at the start of my sermon was a knot in the net that God used to draw me into his life or or that he used to bring me closer to the maturity that he wants for me. Friends, I believe we need to be a church in which our ministries and the decisions that affect them are driven by relationships. Relationships in which we're loving people to Jesus. Relationships in which we're growing disciples and fostering the kind of transformation that's possible because of Jesus. Relationships in which we're crossing those generational divides for the sake of what God wants to do in us and through us for the sake of the world. So friends, what are the relationships that have shaped you up to those point, up to this point? I encourage you to take time to think about that, to give thanks to God for each of those knots in the net that has drawn you closer. But also, Where is God asking you to invest the time you have to build relationships that will bear fruit for the kingdom of God? Because each relationship matters. And even though it might just seem like a conversation at a party, we don't know how God is going to grow the plant from that seed or how that that conversation's gonna water a seed that's been planted, but God is the one who's going to bring the growth if we're willing to give the time to invest in those relationships.